The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, we just had a big national holiday. Did you blow things up on the 4th? No, I don't blow things up on the... on the. I don't do that. My dog... My dog... Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh because he becomes a basket case. We've had so in addition to the Fourth of July, which is you know this is Boston, so we do Fourth in a big way, right? Uh, with, with the fireworks and the pops and all that stuff. But um, we've also had a lot of really heavy thunderstorms lately, mm. and he is just a mess. He is just so. When I was young and uh, and living in Alabama and willing to throw bottle rockets at my friends' heads, uh-huh. I was pretty into fireworks just as a concept. I liked blowing things up, but um, uh, current day me is sympathetic to my dog, and I'm a kind of early to bed guy. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that I'm probably asleep before the Boston fireworks start because you know they used to they used to start fairly early, but they changed them for a California viewing audience. <laughs> Apparently people in California watch the Boston fireworks on TV. So in Please what explain. way did they, yes. In what way did they shift? Because I mean, no matter what time of day you do fireworks in Boston, I mean, it's going to be night, which means that the people in LA haven't gone to bed yet. What, yeah. what needs to be shifted? Well, I think they used, I'm, I'm talking, this is pro- pos- quite possibly not accurate, but I believe they used to start at, you know, like 8 p.m. Uh-huh. Uh, they'd have the Boston Pops down there on the Common or uh, on the Common, no, on the Esplanade, which is right on the river. Mm-hmm. And the concert would begin. And I mean, I think it still does begin with the Pops and end with the fireworks. Yeah, I've watched and, it on TV. Yeah, and I think that used to begin at eight and it now or at seven and it now begins at nine, maybe. So the the fireworks and I I can see the fireworks from my my bedroom window, um, which is just a slippery slope to me going to bed because I don't. I don't mean to be uh, churlish about it, but, you know, how many times can you see fireworks and go, oh, cool? Uh, Well, in my case, a lot. Okay. Yeah. There's a great, um, if you like fireworks. I do. If you like fireworks, there's a great uh, documentary about a Chinese artist. And the name of the documentary is Sky Ladder. But this guy does things with fireworks that are beyond what you see on a 4th of July. And you should watch that because that's really, really good and interesting. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that you guys are in a position to actually still enjoy fireworks uh, is pretty awesome, I think, because here, every time someone hears a kaboom, we're like, what is that idiot thinking? We don't want to fire. Stop it. Stop it. You know, uh, you shouldn't you should change the name of your state to Tinder. (laughs) I know that has other connotations. Yeah, we're not all single. I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was unintentional foreshadowing. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, So uh, where are you headed? So I was just going to say before we dive in that last week we talked about speaking of foreshadowing last week, we talked about where all the bikes have gone. I hear you might have an update on supply chain issues. Maybe you talk to someone who knows more than we do and you're going to bring that to the party. Um, that will be next week's episode. I've, I've touched base with someone and uh, his name is Mark Peterman and he owns a company called Air Foam, which is uh, an insert system for tires. Uh, pretty awesome. Uh, you know, kind of a run flat sort of technology. Mm-hmm. He used to be a bigwig with GT in years past. Uh, like when GT was at the absolute top of its game, he was there. So he's based in Taichung. Tomorrow, we are going to record an interview. And so next week... We are going to have uh, some greater insight on what the supply chain issues are beyond just what you and I can shoot from our hips. Yeah, that's good. I can shoot from my hip. Listeners will know I can shoot from my hip all day, but I do value the truth, whether it sounds (laughs) like it or not. Yeah, so I'm excited. Peterman's a neat, neat guy. Uh, The last time I was in Taiwan... He spent a day just ferrying me around to different factories and introducing me to people. And then that evening, we got together with some other big wigs and had a big dinner and entirely too much alcohol. Ah, that when big wigs, when many big wigs collect in one place, too much alcohol seems to be. Yeah. Uh, close yeah, behind. Yeah. I mean, we went to. uh The fact we went to an auxiliary apartment of a factory owner there. Um, It was just one of his spare apartments. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And it was stocked full of like aged Bordeaux. Oh, Oh my gosh. What what is going on here? Globalized much? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fantastic view of the city. Um, And a brilliant guy to boot. You know, nice, too. So, Mm. um, yeah. So So that'll be coming to to us soon. Yes, yes. To a podcast near us. Get excited, listeners. Real information is coming. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, let's let's dive in now. Let's dive in. So um, what's up with me? A new bike shop opened in my neighborhood. Um, Yay. Yeah. it's one of these um, one shop closes, another opens situations. Uh-huh. And uh, this is so this is guys I know from the shop that's closed are now decided we're going to be owners and start this new thing. They're very nice guys. Um, I like them. I'm excited for them to have a shop here. Um, and let me just say also how nice it is to be able to hand one of your bikes to someone who knows how to work on it better than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yes. I mean, in my case, that's you. That's not a real high bar to clear, but I have been to some other bike shops where it's not the case. Right. right. You know what I mean? Like mm. when you hand over your bike for a brake bleed or something like that and they're, and they're like, well, we can look it up. Like, you know what they're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, don't, don't look it up. I mean, do, but I think YouTube lets a lot of shops pretend to have a service department. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's what I'm doing in my basement. If, if I got to pay you for that, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really value, I prize a really good mechanic. Um, mm-hmm. And actually what I'm, what I'm ranting about today is the fact that bike shop mechanics don't make more money. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you ever talked to a mechanic or a shop person who doesn't really seem to want to work on your bike? Like, I feel like this happens to me a lot. I go, I go in and I'll say something like, I need this wheel, tr- like I need a spoke replaced and this wheel trude. And they get kind of a pained look on their face. And I get the sense that like they kind of think they're doing me a favor. Like, oh, that oh, a s- spoke and a true. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Well, yeah, it's that it's that sense that you're interrupting their day. There I think it's. Go- yeah, I think it's partially that. Yeah. Um, because the tour's on or something. But also, I think it's like. You can tell when someone isn't doesn't have expertise in something. They try to discourage you from pursuing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, well, you should probably just replace this wheel. Oh, I do understand. Yes, that it is easier to buy a new one than to fix the one we have. But do you not fix anyway? I mean, I think that this is a I, I don't want to focus too much on that side of the equation because that's a rare experience mm-hmm. um i'm very excited about this new shop because they do know what they're doing and they're very confident and they want to do it and knowing what i know about bike shops i'm just surprised that good mechanics don't make a bunch more money than they do yeah because uh, good ones are really hard to find and keep hold of uh-huh that is very and true. these days there is so much to know Yes. You know, like yes. software updates to electronic shifting and brake bleeding and compatibility. Like it's it's just spun out in this pr- weird proprietary web of um, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day that there are just millimeters everywhere in a bike. Mm-hmm. And if you can find someone who knows where all the millimeters belong, like you really got to venerate that person as much as you can. Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I believe it was an episode I recorded with Patria where I talked about how being a bike mechanic today is not being a bike mechanic when I was last paid to be a bike mechanic when Bill Clinton was still president. Mm. Uh, it has been a long time since I've been paid to be a mechanic. Uh, actually, no, there was a a, a short stint one time in the early 2000s where uh, I worked for a shop again for a little while. I needed some money to close a little gap in my finances and they were covered up in needing help. Uh, but yeah, between uh, internally routed cables and wires mm. and uh, 
Everyone, I apologize for the leaf blower outside. I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to shoot him um, uh, or blow up the leaf blower, which would be much less antisocial. Uh, yeah, bleeding uh, hydraulic brakes. I mean, there's the simple fact that, you know, for every different system, there's a different procedure for doing it and different tools. Mm. Uh you know, and the fact that you've got to use uh, dot fluid with SRAM and you've got to use mineral oil uh, with everyone else. Um, uh, you know, there, yeah, there's just so much more to know. I mean, let's just talk about silencing bottom brackets. That's an art form. That is not science. That is an art form. That's a, I wouldn't say silencing bottom brackets is a dark art. Oh, it yeah. begins with the evil of a press fit bottom bracket. And then from there, all sorts of spells and arcana. Uh, yeah, I think you need hand of glory these days. Could be. Yeah, could be. You know. So I just I'm wondering what the dynamic is. I it's too easy for me to say that I'm a person willing to spend money to maintain mm -hmm. my bikes. And I do, you know, I do work myself. I certainly do. Um, but, you know, there comes a point where you, you pay to have it done. And, and I just don't really understand the dynamics. People don't seem to be willing to spend. I mean, I think that's the root of the issue, right? Like all the shop owners I know really value a good mechanic. Yeah. You know, and the bad ones. Right. They deal with the bad ones and they spend a lot of their time recruiting the good ones, mm -hmm. like an actual lot of their time identifying, wooing, etc. When, when you're at a point where mechanics are relocating to different cities, you know, something's right. on. Right. So so if you're a good mechanic, the opportunities are 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 there. But the pay is still not. And I think it's just because people won't pay to have their bike serviced still. And I'm, I wonder what that what you think the dynamic is. I mean, is it as simple as a person who buys a seven hundred dollar bike struggles to understand putting a hundred bucks into it every year? Like I, I sort of buy that. I think today's seven hundred dollar bikes are pretty good bikes. They're better um, than they were 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've bought, I've bought bikes like that for my kids and they go real well and they're well-made and, and, you know, they're, they're not particularly light or agile or whatever, but they are well-made things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so is it the case that people who, who just don't want to put, like, they kind of think that's a buy it and forget it thing. Like I, I buy the bike and then forever it's okay. I don't have to, pay someone to maintain it. I mean, certainly that's got to be part of it with some folks because uh, that's an education issue. You I know? think it is an education issue, but, but I think there's, even if you solve the education issue, for example, if you become a, a, a lifelong dedicated cyclist and you spend more money on a bike, mm -hmm. I don't want to put numbers out because whatever everyone's big number is someone's small number and vice versa um but say you invest a lot of money in a bike by the time you've reached that level of dedication to cycling you've learned how to do some of this stuff 
And then I think there's, even though you know how hard it is to do, there's a reluctance to pay somebody else to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those like, well, why would I pay you to do something I can do? Why, why should I pay you for A-level work when I can do C-level work myself and still pass? That's a fair question. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'll say that I see examples out there where things have turned a really valuable corner and people do spend real money for good mechanics to do great maintenance on their bikes. That mm. is out there. Uh, and I'm glad to see that. But it is uh, it is one lump in an otherwise flat field. Uh, right. fund, fundamentally, I think the big challenge is a situation that the bike industry brought on itself, which is the notion of discounting things for clubs and teams and mm. all that. The, the rush to discount has eviscerated the bike industry's own profit margin. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember getting uh, the, the dealer information materials from a line and how they would tell, you know, you'll make 36 points with us. You'll make 42 points with us. Uh, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll make 40 points. And, you know, the reality was that you might make that much on say six bikes out of 24 you ordered from that right. company. Right. Uh, and the rest you make uh, 20 points on, except for the last two where you end up losing money. Yeah. I, I, this is a thing that I've said to more bike shop owners than I can count is that um, when you discount something, what you're really doing is buying the sale from the customer. Ooh. Mm. And and what you are saying to, in fact, to the customer when you buy the sell from them is this was never worth it to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And it and it creates this um, this area of doubt in the customer's mind where they sort of feel like they're an idiot to pay retail. Mm -hmm. And. Mm -hmm. And that would be fine if the manufacturer's margins were weren't predicated on retail. You know what I mean? If, they, yeah. if, the, if the beginning measure point wasn't MSRP. So I always tell shops, sell things for what they cost. Always, always sell things for what they cost. If you, you know. If you at all can, and if you find yourself carrying a product or a product line that is um, publicly discounted, you know, it's sort of like um, every year this goes on sale. Yeah. Don't sell that thing. <laughs> find another thing that has value. And, and at seven, we had a uh, we had a word for the, uh, what you really make on a thing, which is uh, sustained margin. So you have a you have the margin mm -hmm. that uh, the manufacturer says you buy things at, right? Yep. Uh, you're going to make whatever it is, thirty six, whatever they promise, and then now take the all of the bikes right. that you get from them and calculate your margin and average it. Yeah, that's your sustained margin. Yep. So don't it's tell an me ugly that number you, usually it is an ugly number usually, and when when they take the time to do the math. Um, 
you know, and at the time I was trying to make the case for selling custom bikes because you never discount a custom bike, right? So if we tell you yeah. the, the margin is X percent, the margin is that, yeah. you know what you're making. Um, and if you push a custom customer to a stock bike, because you have the stock bike in hand and you can get that cash in the till today, that's fine. But understand it's going to cost you 10% of the, you know, I, I'm, I'm throwing numbers out, but the point is if you, if you don't know what your margins are and this then extends to service, if you don't know what your margins are and they're not reasonable margins, uh, I'll take it back to service in just a second. But if you don't know, then you, you, you can't manage your business. You yeah. can't project your cash flow. You don't know what you should order or what you can afford to order. It just you're just pulling the rug out from under yourself. And it's I understand how hard it is because we live in a discount culture. Yeah. Yeah. On the service side, too often, and I've I've done this a couple times recently. I've consult done some consulting with shops who are redoing fee schedules and website and representing their their offerings. And they've given me, you know, they've let me look at their service menu. And I would, I'd say, well, why do you charge X number of dollars for a tune-up? And they'll say, well, we think this is what people will pay. Uh -huh. And I say, yeah, but if you lose money on what people will pay, why would you bother to do it at all? Like every minute you spend working has a value and an opportunity cost. So like... If you're losing, if you're making 6% on a tune-up, why bother doing tune-ups? Mm -hmm. Sell yeah. water bottles. I, you know, do something else with like a predictable, like, you know, where you know what you're going to do or just, you know, and service, a service book is hard to manage. Uh, yes. You know, when you end up with a hundred bikes in service that you're trying to, to push through, that's really difficult um, so you're, you have a precious resource that you are selling. And if you have to charge, I don't know, 150 bucks for a tune up and you have people say, oh, that's too much. Well, that's okay that it's too much for them. Don't tune up their bike. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're not obligated to say yes or name a price that's acceptable to everybody walking through your door. And, and look, if you're out there and you're thinking as a listener and you're thinking, Oh, all of this is really expensive. It is, it is. I get it. It's also, um, it's also elective, you know, like you can choose whether to do this stuff or not. What yeah. I'm talking about right now is only the bike shops perspective where, uh, I don't know. I, we used to joke about this all the time, even at a custom bike builder, that customers weren't really happy unless you were dying for your craft and eating ramen for lunch every day. You know what I mean? I mean, cup ramen, not. Yeah. 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 I, I, and it doesn't have to be that way. It's counterproductive. I mean, the thing is, there are there are so many dots that you can connect here. So bike shops discount. So they their profit margin is lower. Well, that reduces what they can spend on labor. So they can't have the good mechanic or the good salesperson, which means they end up with that kid who you walk in and say, I need a 700 by 38 uh, press the valve tube. Um, and he says, are you sure that's really the size you need? 
yes, I, 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 you know, I've got the previous box or whatever, you know, I right. l- look, there are specialized triggers on my bike right now. It's a 700 by three. I mean, I've heard so many stories from women of just the offhand sexism of walking into a shop and immediately some 24 year old kid, uh, you know, questions whether or not that's really correct. Uh, right. And so, you know, the thing there is, and also let's not forget about all the times people have taken a bike into a shop for some sort of repair and then it's not even done correctly. Right. And the frustration and time lost that comes with that. And so if bike shops made better margin across the board were ultimately more profitable, then they could spend that money on payroll and the entire experience for everyone involved, the shop owner, the people actually doing the work and the customers that would all improve. Yeah, that's right. That is right. That is right. And, and it's what I don't want to do is, is customer blame, you know, because you walk in and you yeah. get the experience you get. My thing is that it really does start with the shop owner making some, I can understand difficult decisions about I'm not going to please everybody. I am going to make money. I'm just because the manufacturer says that something is on sale does not mean it's on sale at my shop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nothing would make me more crazy than having a bike company that I work with tell me, Oh, we're having a national sale next week. Oh, Wait, did you just put all of my stuff? Did you just decide I was giving away a bunch of money? What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought I was managing I will, my inventory. Um, how to put it? I I don't want to get into any level of finger pointing for where the blame rests except in to say that I think this is largely an economic issue. Uh Sure. You yes. know, in 20 years Minimum wage hasn't risen. And I read something the other day in 20 years, Jeff Bezos net worth um, went up more than 10 times, you know, same for Warren Buffett, all of those guys. Most of the money in our economy is tied up in the bank accounts of a handful of people who, you know, aren't going to spend that much of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it is it is it is difficult when there's no when our idea of what is a living wage, etc. has been completely compromised. Yeah, yeah. You know, and well, I, I would I would actually put the 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 some of the blame uh we're going to get political here, but with some of the blame with Congress who refuses to raise minimum wage, but has given themselves many raises since the yeah. last time the the, the uh, minimum wage rose. And I just don't understand th- that bit of logic at all. Yeah. Well, they decided tried- they definitely needed more money to do their jobs, but nobody else could. I don't I don't I don't it- see it. It does seem to be a place that uh, attracts people with um, a high degree of self-interest. Yeah. Uh, anyway, just to close this topic, I'm going to hand two or three hundred bucks over to these guys uh, tomorrow and pick up a bike and I'm going to feel really good about it. 
Yeah, that's the thing. You know, there really is something pretty wonderful about picking up a bike that has gotten absolutely A plus service and right. it comes back to you and it's like it looks like a new bike. Yeah. Um, I remember City Cycles, which was one of the original, you know, super yeah. boutique studio type operations. They had three bike wash stations inside their shop. A bike didn't get serviced without a complete cleaning. Yeah. Was that that's the that was the um, Clay Street, San Francisco? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I, I know that. Yeah, I. Yeah, that was Clay Mankin was the yes. uh, original owner who is no longer with us, sadly. Mm -hmm. uh, and he really pioneered the kind of studio model of bike shopping. Yeah. I mean, for I mean, a long time. Bike it shopping was... as a verb. Yeah. Well, I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Serata and Seven were like their only two lines for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah. Extraordinary operation for a very long time um, and did a great job to help set the bar for what high end retail you know, in cycling is today. Right. So yeah, there are those opportunities to turn your over, turn your money over to somebody who's going to do a great job the first time around. That's right. Yeah. I like championing that. Um, all right, we're going to take a break and we'll <laughs> toy boat. We will be back <laughs> in just a minute. The pace line is brought to you by the cycling independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported, with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll, Patrick. What do you got? I'm going to get personal today. So I was dating someone. And um, sometime back, she ghosted me. Yesterday, I finally got a text message from her with an apology of sorts. I've been doing some soul searching uh, because I'm aware the only thing I can change is myself. Uh, there was a lack of empathy and respect in the text. Um, and the degree to which that text lacked those things. It had me wondering whether she'd been lying when she said she loved me or if she wasn't actually sorry. And those were just the words that she knew she needed to say. I literally cannot make sense of ghosting someone. You've said, I love you too. How do you just disappear from their life? Uh, and the only way, yeah, the only answers I can come up with uh, are you didn't really love them or, you know, whatever, whatever. It made me think back on something she'd once told me about calling her Facebook friends. Uh, she'd been completely maxed out and she cut it down to just a few hundred. She'd decided all those people brought no value to her life 
so she cut them off. Now, granted, my perspective is going to be a little bit different because I'm a writer and podcaster, but I can't conceive of cutting off several thousand people who chose to friend me. I consider myself lucky to have an audience. I mean, I'm nothing without an audience, right? Um, well, that's when I realized that she and I had two fundamentally different views of relationships. She saw me in terms of what I added to her life. And the funny thing is, I was busy thinking about what I brought to her life. You'd think that would be an ideal situation, but as I've learned, it wasn't. I'm sad because she's someone who hasn't really had much unconditional love in her life. And I saw a real beauty within her. That wasn't her body or her athletic achievement. I wanted to be the guy with the watering can for that part of her life. That part of her. But it's not what she wanted. And, you know, that's her right. As I said, I've been doing some soul searching. And in times like these, my mind often goes to cycling. I realize that cycling has helped me develop much of my sense of what it means to give. I'll illustrate this with some examples. So last week, I got to take two different friends for a ride in western Sonoma County at a place they'd never seen before. And it made me feel good to share the beauty of that land and those trails with them. Seeing the wonder on their faces gave me something in that it allowed me to see the place with fresh eyes. And I think back on all the rides where I cracked and someone sat up and gave me their wheel to get me home and the gratitude I felt for that kindness. When faced with seeing other riders crack, I will slow down to help nurse them back because I know what it feels like to be left or left for dead, as well as how comforting it is to have a wheel to follow. There were also the long group rides that I used to do when I still lived in SoCal. Uh, big groups of 50 riders or more would roll north, and some of us would inevit inevitably turn off to climb the canyon roads of Malibu. Every week, I mean every week, it was guaranteed that someone would run out of food and bonk. So I began buying power bars on discount because they were near their expiration date. There was a store that always had boxes of them that way. Um, so I'd get them for half off. And I would just take one of those and put it in my middle jersey pocket where I could kind of forget about it, knowing that in three or four hours, someone was going to need it. It felt good each and every time I gave that power bar away. A few weeks back, a friend broke his rear derailleur cable and I suggested he drop by my place and I would install a new one for him. He's not especially flush, so I knew it would save him a few bucks and it would give me a chance to spend some time with a person who has a lot of heart. I'd like to think I gave as much as I got. 
So I'll put the question to you, John. What has cycling taught you about giving? <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry to see you sad. I'm sorry to see you sad. But, um, you know, I, I guess what cycling uh, has taught me about giving is I don't have enough to give, you know, <laughs> ever. I can give and give and give and... I need to find some more to give. I think that's it, really. You know what I mean? Like, we head out the door wondering what we're going to get, mm -hmm. right? You roll out of the driveway or whatever, and you think, what's this going to be? What's this going to be? You don't think, what, you're, what can you give? But um, you need to give. You need to give. And, and, and you know, my... Um, I guess hearing you talk about this relationship makes me think about my wife and riding with my wife and, and the challenges that that's presented and how, you know, what I have to give is, is patience. Mm -hmm. What I have to give is patience. And is there, do, will I ever, Patrick, will I ever in my whole life have enough patience to give people what they, not even what they need, but what they deserve? Yeah. I can't even, you know, I heard someone say uh, one time, uh, they said, you know, they say that you, you don't get what you, you don't get what you want, but you will always get what you need. And he yeah. said, I, I call bullshit on that. Sometimes you don't even get what you need, but so what? You got to keep going anyway. <laughs> um, that's a <laughs> and, fair point. And I think that that's right. I think that, um, you know, whatever it is I have to give, it may not be enough, but I got to give it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, I mean, my big takeaway is the more I give, the better I feel about myself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, um, you know, there's a, certain selfishness in that but i know that when my self-esteem has been garbage i've been kind of a garbage person sure i think that makes a ton of sense i think you know one of the, one of the the dumbest simplest smartest things i heard someone say about relationships was that a, a good relationship is 60 60 yeah it's not 50 50 at 50 50 you're only just barely meeting mm-hmm you got to go past halfway. You got to give more than you think you ought to, to, yeah. to connect with that other person. Um, and I think, you know, any relationship where you're not going to get to 60, 60, you know, you got to cut bait because it's just not going to go well for one. Or, uh, it's not going to go well for either of you. Yeah. You know, even if one of you is getting more, it's not going to go well for that person. You know, it all spirals into resentments and uh, fear and all that other garbage. You know, you really both people have to feel like they're getting and giving more of themselves than they would expect, I think. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I really do. All right. Uh, I say we move on to Paceline Picks. All right. Um, 
so this feels like going from the um the uh the the heavy and serious to the dumb and ludicrous but i'm gonna do it anyway because that's who i I am i think that's really kind of what's called for here we we need something approaching levity Oh, good. I'll talk about bottle cages then. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just as humid as hell here this week. And while I'd love to um, give you another lecture about the difference between dew point and humidity percentage, what I'm actually going to do is just shout out two water bottle cages um, because I was (laughs) I was buying cages this week. Um, it seems like a ridiculous thing to buy a water bottle cage. Like you should just have them, but no, you actually do have to buy them anyway. So the first, the first one I'm going to talk about is the King cage. Yeah. Yeah. So Ron, a King cage, all those things are made by hand. Um, he's a jovial, helpful fellow. The stainless steel cage is a home run for metal bikes. If you, I ride mostly metal bikes. No, I ride all metal bikes actually right now. <laughs> um, so the steel, the stainless steel uh, one is an absolute home run. It's durable. It looks right. You know, it just looks like bottle cage. Um, I, bottle cage is one of those things where I feel like you don't need to be creative. We know what bottle cage looks like. Just make that. Um, so, <laughs> So the king, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I really do. I really yeah. do. Like, oh, that's a very clever shape. Every bottle is going to fall out of it. We know what bottle cage looks like. Just make it. Uh, so it, it's one of those things that does its job without grabbing your attention and making you notice it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for my money, the stuff on my bike that stays mostly invisible is the good stuff. It means that it's neither aesthetically um, greedy, uh, nor does it break down regularly. So if it's invisible and I don't know about it, it's doing its job exactly as I want it to. So that's what King Cage does. Um, You can get the stainless one for 20 bucks. Uh, If you're fancy and you want the titanium one, that's 60 bucks. I actually think both of those are outstanding values. Um, they, yeah, they're both, I've got a few. Yeah, I have quite a few. I think, um, I would describe them both happily as like exactly as much bottle cage as you want and not any more, not any less. Just, just it's, it is serving size equals one or two, two is the case. <laughs> um, had my seven not been stolen last year, I would be in possession of a king cage that is 24 years old. Yeah. Yeah. My stainless steel one did actually break after like 10 years. Um, uh-huh. But that titanium one was indistinguishable from the other Thai ones I have. Right. Yeah, I believe it. The second cage I'm going to, because I know there's a lot of carbon bike riders out there. uh, The second cage I'm going to mention, and I put put these on my titanium bikes too, is the Arundel Mandible. So this is carbon fiber. Again, it's the perfect shape, you know, bottle cage shaped. It's uh, crazy lightweight. It's not garish or trying to be clever in any way. It just holds bottles or waits to hold bottles. Those are the two <laughs> things that it does. 
it's it's 79 bucks. It comes in an array of finishes. I like the matte black because it matches my soul, but you can get <laughs> gloss or the weave showing through or whatever floats your carbony boat. If you're into those things, um, I've never actually broken either one of these cages, which is saying something because I do break things, including myself. You have with some frequency. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I've got a different. uh, No, I've I've. Yeah, I've got a pair of. Well, I'm not sure if it's that model, but I've got a pair of Arundel cages and um, they uh, they have held up remarkably well. Yeah. 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 Arundel, um, I think, is a real sleeper. I talked about their um, gecko rubber bar tape. Yeah. Last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever time is, I don't know. Um, I think they're a sleeper. I think, you know, they make... Um, uh, I won't say they're afterthought products because people do think about bar tape and water bottle cages and things, mm-hmm. but they don't make, you know, carbon fiber wheels. But as a as a company, I think that they they just make perfect products they're kind of like prices they remind me of the old ad campaign for basf we don't make products we make products better it's like eh, mm. arundel we don't make bikes we make bikes better yeah you know i mean i i hope no one at arundel um is beating their children or cheating on taxes i don't i don't this is this is the not the kind of full disclosure you expect where I say, like, I'm best friends with everyone who works there. I don't know anyone who works there or sells their stuff. I don't get anything from them at a discount. I don't I couldn't even honestly tell you where they're located, which is goofy because I've bought a lot of their stuff. So this is what, <laughs> this is the nature of my pick this week that I have no reason to recommend these things other than. They're, they're just really great. good. Yeah, they're just really good. What do you got for yeah. us this week? My pick for this show is the Wahoo Ticker Heart Rate Monitor. Hmm. Because I may ride three or four bikes in a week, having a power meter on every one of them is a luxury that I absolutely cannot afford. And honestly, I've been looking at heart rate for decades since I like 1991 or 1992, somewhere in there. That's when I bought my first heart rate monitor. It was a Schwinn. <sighs> um, but, you know, because I've been looking at heart rate for so long, it's a number like Fahrenheit that I think in, you know, mm. uh, there are a few things about the ticker that I really very specifically love. First is the price. Purchase as a standalone. It's only $49.95, but Wahoo also bundles it in with many of their GPS units, you know, for even less money. Um, next is the fact that it's the single most reliable heart rate monitor I've ever used. It never drops signal. I've never gotten interference from anything in my general vicinity. Um, you know, it's very efficient in battery use, so I've never had it like die in the middle of a ride. Uh, it's, it's just what you want from a heart rate monitor. You use it, you forget about it. Perhaps most important, the straps. I've had several of these things. The straps have never stretched out. And that's an achievement given all the sweat it has to survive. And your, and your massive muscular 
Um, well, I didn't want to brag. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, then there's the fact that the ticker will talk to almost anything. So even if you don't have a Wahoo GPS, so like my mom, <laughs> my mom too, it's very extroverted. Yeah. <laughs> so even if you don't have a Wahoo GPS unit, as long as you do have a GPS unit with either Ant Plus or Bluetooth connectivity, uh, it will work for you. Failing that, it'll connect to your smartphone. It can even connect to multiple devices. Uh, so if like me, you've ever done a really long event and carried a backup unit because you had to make sure you had your Strava, um, the ticker can be connected to it simultaneously. Um, and then there's also the fact that it integrates with apps like Peloton and Zwift. So it's even more versatile than one might think one needs. Uh, there'll be a link in our show notes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like, I like it talks to everything. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit like a dog, too, huh? Yeah. Dogs are the world's extroverts. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are. It's, it's true. I want to talk to you, but first I'm going to smell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad my heart rate monitor doesn't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How's your heart rate? Uh, it depends on what I'm thinking about. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. I try not to think. So I have a very consistent heart rate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it lately has, uh, it has illustrated some stress that I've sure. experienced. <laughs> do you, do you look at heart rate only when you're on the bike or do you, are you walking around looking at heart rate too? Uh, I am not that flavor of obsessive. I'm not saying I'm not obsessive, but that's a variety of obsessive that I am not. I was about to call you out on that. I was about to say, I know some things and I think you are. Let me introduce you to you. Yeah. I, that's just a, a gap. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Uh, we might consider that a failing in my consistency. Uh, I I'd call it a, a, a feature, not a benefit, a feature, not a, uh, 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 yeah, not a bug. Gotta yeah. let some stuff go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one should there. specialize, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you got anything fun planned this weekend? Um, well, as we were talking before the podcast, I did a. I undertook a torture uh, mm. adventure recently um, where it was a, a 15 mile out and back. Well, it was pitched to me as a as a run. <laughs> but running on the surface and the terrain was not very possible. I probably ran 20% of the 15 miles. Uh, some of it was actual climb, like climbing, rock climbing. Um, and as I mentioned to you, it was raining. So <laughs> that day, so the long story, uh, long story short, I did this big thing and it was really hard. And that was last Saturday. It's what is it? Wednesday today. I'm still <laughs> significantly sore in my body from it. Uh, and when I walked away from it, I said, well, I'm never doing this again. Uh, <laughs> but the following day I thought, I probably have to go back and do that again. So I, <laughs> I have no that, idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is potentially I've got um, 
you know, I'm a multidisciplinary athlete, uh, which I say with a big grin on my face, uh, which should imply that I don't take myself so seriously, but I try to do a bunch of different things. So I have some big rides coming up and I have some big runs coming up, um, run in quotation marks. And so I'm trying to be good at all things. I'm trying to practice it all, which just amounts to a lot of suffering. <laughs> you know, as long as you feel like that's what you're signing up for, right? Yeah. You know, the thing is I did, so I did this long thing last Saturday and it was so hard and it was raining and uh, it was, you know, fairly dangerous as we went along, you know, the, the potential for injury was high. I just seem to love stuff like that. I just, I don't know why, you know, like I'm, I would never tell someone do things you don't enjoy. Um, <laughs> but I do some really pretty, uh, objectively unenjoyable things and then think, yeah, more of that. Well, it does force you to be in the moment, right? I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think it's, it's, it's being in the moment, but it's also, um, it's also this like just dealing with things and, 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 I, I just read this book. I think it's called The Flame of Adventure, written by Simon Yates, who is a mountaineer of the sort of Alpine and Himalayan adventure school, which is not my thing at all, really. But um, he was he was kind of saying that the reason he does what he does is that life is boring. <laughs> Get up, drink coffee, do work make dinner, watch, you know, like the, 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 the routine. And I think that really kind of rung true for me. Like, why do I want to do all these things? Like, why do I want to try obstacles on my bike that I'm not sure I can manage? And why do I want to put myself in these situations? Well, I mean, it's just part, it's goddamn interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Um, I mean, I like the world best when it's still full of wonder. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's and, a certain, uh, there's a definite thing like what's up around this corner. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cool. Or, hey, am I going to make it to, back to the car alive? But you know, the <laughs> questions, <laughs> what do you have going on this weekend? You know, I, I did uh, some pretty hard miles last week. And so I was actually thinking I would do a long, but relatively easy road ride on Saturday. Um, I want to. I don't know. I'm going to pick some sort of loop, probably go north and uh, knock out 80 ish miles or something. I haven't done that. That sounds very sensible. Yeah, I, I, you know, they're 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 like meditations in a way. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just going to go do a, a long day on Saturday and then I'll go do my typical mountain bike ride on Sunday. Very nice. Go out to that little slice of heaven. Yeah. So cool, man. Cool. Um. All righty, everybody, uh, send us some questions. Uh, we love getting those. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>